In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Today is Christ the King Sunday. Next Sunday is the beginning of a brand new church year. The church year starts at the first Sunday of Advent. So we'll be starting a new lectionary cycle. We'll be in year C. And in year C, remember, we read the Gospel of Luke through. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, in the coming uh, spring and summer. We are now concluding this period. And as we get ready for uh, the new year, we are getting ready for Advent, which is when we, we clear our houses, we clear our spiritual houses, and we prepare to get ready to celebrate Christmas. When we celebrate Christmas, we're not just remembering what has happened, we're preparing to celebrate Christ coming again. So we're not just celebrating His coming the first time, but in celebrating His coming the first time, we're preparing for Him to come the second time. And that's what we're doing in Advent. We're getting ready to prepare for Christ to come again. So as we prepare, as we get ourselves ready, we have to know who this guest is that we're preparing for. right? If you're going to have a party and you're going to invite guests, you need to know who they are, who it is that you're celebrating, who it is that you're inviting. And we are inviting, we're preparing for a king. We're preparing for King Jesus. So today, we're thinking about and we're contemplating what it means to celebrate and prepare for the coming again of King Jesus. This can be a hard thing for Americans to do. Hard thing for us to do when we're so comfortable and set in this uh, time and place. It's very hard for us to imagine the kind of upheaval, upheaval and destruction that the nation of Israel had experienced. If you think about the prophet Daniel here and his uh, talking about the coming of the ancient of days of the son of man, the coming of the king, uh, you have to remember that he's uh, talking in about 560, 570 BC. He was a small child. He was an infant that was brought by the Babylonians when they uh, raided and they sacked Jerusalem and they brought him to Babylon. You'll remember that he's a contemporary of Jeremiah and of the prophet Ezekiel. And he is mourning, he is um, sorrowing over the end of the kingly line of David. If you think about it, King David had been uh, enthroned about 1000 BC, and so this is now over 400 years later. They had had one kingly line, they had had uh, one kingly line from the time of David until the time of Daniel. 400 years. We're just now coming up on the 400th anniversary of the sailing of the Mayflower. So if you think about those 400 years that they had been under one rule, one kingly rule in Jerusalem, you start to get a picture of what it is that they lost. And then if you think about the fact that they had been one people, one people group, one nation who had been in the Holy Land since the time of Joshua in about 1500 BC, now you realize that they had been one group in one place for over 900 years. And that came to an end. If you want to think about English-speaking democracy starting in Magna Carta, which is a little bit of a stretch, you'll know that that was only 800 years ago. This is 900 years that the people of God had been worshipping in the Holy Land, and now they're taken out of that place. If you want to go all the way back to Jacob, who had been promised the Holy Land, we're talking much longer. 
So we begin to get a sense of what it is that these people have lost. The promise of God to be a holy people in the promised land, and now they're ripped away. And the question is, has God abandoned us, or does he have a plan? Is this part of God's plan? And Daniel, you'll remember, is brought in as a kind of a, a magi, right? He's a wise man because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that the Lord gives him. He is a, a, a holy man, a, a wise man in Babylon, and he has many times when the Lord saves him, right? Saves him from the lions and saves him from all kinds of destruction and for plots against him. And now he has this vision to see what is the Lord's plan in this terrible thing that's happened. And he sees Christ coming again. He sees one like a son of man. That's Jesus. He sees this ancient of days. This is the picture of Christ coming again and instituting this kingdom. And now Daniel's starting to see that God's plan for his kingdom is much more radical, much more amazing than what the people of Israel had first thought. It's not about one nation. It's not about one ethnic group. It's not about one language. He sees that people from all nations, from all tribes, from all languages and people groups are coming and they are worshiping the Lord. So now he's saying that isn't an ethnic experience that we're planning on. It's something much greater than that. And it isn't this kingly understanding, this worldly understanding of kings and of, of armies, right, of politics, of military might. This is the might of God. This is creator God who's coming and he's coming down to earth. And that's a really important thing for us to remember because some Sometimes when we think about heaven, it's sometimes talked about as we're going home, we're going someplace else that we've never been before. It's like this, um, you know, Star Trek spaceship ride to some faraway place. But that's not how the scriptures talk about heaven. This is God coming to earth. This is where heaven is, right? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And so he's coming and he's establishing his kingdom and rule right here. And what's our role to play? The prophet Daniel says our role is to be watchful in submission, listening and looking for God. So this reminds us, this watchful submission reminds us of this analogy that we've been returning to over and over again. That the, the church is the ship at sea. Right, The church is this ship at sea that Christ is at the helm. He is watchful and ever wakeful. And he invites us to be watchful. Right, We're in a storm and we can't be surprised by that. The whole point of being in this ship and having these plans is because there is a storm. So we're not so naive to think that there won't be dangers in the world. And we're supposed to be able to go up and take our turn right, as being uh, watchers to be prepared for danger. What are we watching for? We're watching for the temptations of sin in the world. We can't be so foolish as to think that we're going to go throughout our day today or our day tomorrow and that we won't be tempted by sin. Of course we will be. The question is, what's our plan? How are we keeping awake? How are we watching for the Lord and for the Holy Spirit? How are we listening and preparing? Are we doing it in a submissive fashion? And this should take us right back, this idea of being submissive, to where we read in Matthew chapter 5 about uh, the Beatitudes. Remember that we're supposed to be poor in spirit? That is, we know that God is holy and we're not. That we're supposed to be mourning our sins. We recognize our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And that we're supposed to be meek. So when we recognize our need for a Savior, we don't justify ourselves, we don't make excuses, right? But we acknowledge that it's God's saving arm, that it's His strength that is going to protect us. 
And then in that we have a desire, we have a hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And this is what we see Jesus talking about in, in, the, in the trial that he experiences with Pilate. So now we've had this, we've had this warning, this, this warning message of Daniel that Christ is going to come, the Messiah is going to come. There were a few that got it. There are those faithful few, right? There's Mary and Joseph, and there's, uh, there's uh, uh, Elizabeth, right, and Zechariah. There are a few that know who the Messiah is and what is going to happen. But there were many who were thinking that Jesus was going to be a, a, jo- a, a Judah Maccabee, right? That he was going to be a military leader, that he was going to bring uh, a political solution, a military solution, right? And so often we're looking for that in our lives, aren't we? We see danger and trouble in the world and we think, oh, maybe the technocrats or the bureaucrats or the politicians or the military or somebody will save us, right? No. Christ is going to come, and he's not going to come as a military ruler. And so when Christ comes here, and we turn to uh, John chapter 18, we're seeing a juxtaposition. That means a comparison, a comparison, a very distinct comparison between the powers of this world, which is Rome, right, which is still our best example, isn't it, of military might, of military stability and, and political power. Rome is still the example that's used throughout the world, and the coming of Jesus, So we have Jesus and we have Pilate and they're juxtaposing what the world's answer to the problems of the world are, right? Military might and politics versus the kingdom that Jesus brings. And Jesus comes in submission. He comes in lowliness and meekness. And you'll notice that he is still in charge. He is still in complete command. And he says this to Pilate several times, right? If I didn't will it, this wouldn't happen. If I didn't give you power, you wouldn't be able to act. Jesus lets Pilate know, and no uncertain terms, this is my courtroom. You think that you're the king here. You think that you're the judge here, but you're not. So much so that Pilate can't even produce a prosecutor. Do you notice that? Even a Roman court would have a prosecutor, somebody who would bring a charge and then a defense. There's nobody to bring the charge against Jesus. Do you see that? Pilate has to ask Jesus himself what the charge is. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And what have you done? He's expecting the defense. He's expecting the accused to prosecute himself. Which shows that Jesus is in complete control of this courtroom. And so Jesus says, right, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, it's in the world, it's active, it's established, but it doesn't work the way that you think it works. You think that this is about armies and about politics and about power, and it's about something altogether different. It's about love. It's about hope. It's about joy. And these are the things that we're looking for. These are the the things that my kingdom is going to establish. It's not establishing a strong arm of a strong man. It's establishing the hope and love of God. And he says, those people that participate in my kingdom, that are citizens of my kingdom, which is what we're trying to be, right? In baptism, we become citizens of the kingdom of God. When we participate in that kingdom, Jesus says, we're going to do what? Listen. We're going to listen. And as everybody knows, there's lots of different kinds of listening, right? It's like there's lots of different kinds of knowing. Knowing a phone number and knowing a person, two completely different things, right? Listening, what did you say? What was that? 
versus knowing exactly what's being said. There's two different kinds of listening. The kind of listening that Jesus is talking about is the kind where we know that we need to act. We know that we need to respond. We know that there is something for us to do. We have the expectation that the Lord is calling us to act, to do something, and we need to hear what it is. That's a different kind of listening, isn't it? Listening so that we know what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be acting, how we're even supposed to be feeling and thinking. And so he says, those that are of the truth listen to my voice. They listen to my voice. So now we have an understanding that his kingdom is radically different, that when we become citizens of that kingdom, we submit the way Jesus does to the holiness of God. We listen to Jesus' voice as our king, right, waiting to act upon his command. And then we understand that this kingdom that is coming is a radical kingdom where we're not only listening, but we're participating with all those who have come before us. St. John here, the evangelist, is writing in about 90 AD, so it's about 60 years after Jesus has risen from the dead, right? John was a young man, he was a teenager, when he stands at the foot of the cross, so he's an old man now and he's in prison. He's in this tiny little island called Patmos, off the coast of Asia Minor, and they'd imprisoned him in this tiny little cell, in this tiny little cave on this island, and he's in chains. And we see in the icons of St. John in, the, in, this, uh, in this place. And he's looking up into heaven because the Lord has lifted the lid off of heaven, right? He calls this the apocalypse, right? It means the revealing or the unveiling. So the Lord has taken the veil off and he said, see that? See that? And he's unveiling the kingdom of God. And John is looking up into this kingdom of heaven and he's speaking and his scribe is busily writing down what John has to say. John has been the bishop of the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor. And he is speaking to the churches, these seven churches that form a, a semicircle around Ephesus and to us. So many of the questions of the church aren't either or. Is Jesus speaking to Ephesus in 90 AD, or is he speaking to us? The answers quite often are both and. He's speaking to the people of Ephesus then, and he's speaking to us. And what is he revealing to them? He's revealing to them again that the kingdom of God is of all tribes, of all nations, of all, um, of all peoples, right? And that what they're doing, if they're blessed, is they're reading the words of the prophecy, that is reading Holy Scripture, Right? So that's what we're here to do. Read Holy Scripture. Right? To hear it. Right? And this is the kind of hearing that's listening, hearing. Right? Paying attention. And then to do what? To keep it. So again, we're not just passive listeners to the Word of God. We're listening to it so that we can keep it. What does that mean to keep something? When we keep a holiday or we keep something, what are we doing? We're participating in it. We're following it. So we're listening so that we know how to keep the things of God. And so when we do that, when we listen and we keep the things of God, we enter into this kingdom where we're worshiping the Lord all the time. And there are some people who say in this worship that uh, our understanding of the Trinity is not in Holy Scripture. That's because they haven't read it. 
Because the Holy Trinity is right here in the Revelation to St. John. The seven spirits who are before his throne, that's the Holy Spirit. From Jesus Christ, right, the Son of God, right? That is Jesus, obviously. And God the Father, and verse 6. So we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right here in three verses in John chapter 1. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what we read is that when we enter into this kingdom, we become a kingdom of priests. That's an interesting thing. A kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Priests take things that are common and set them aside for God's use. We call it blessing or consecrating, right? This is what we do in baptism. We take somebody who is common and we say, you're now set aside for God's use. You had no purpose before, now you have the purposes of God through baptism, right? We're about to take bread and wine. Very simple, common things, right? This is not filet mignon, right? We're taking simple bread and wine, common foods, and we're going to set them aside for God's purpose. So that's what priests do. And who are the priests here today? Come on, don't make me wait. We are priests. So your job, our job, is to take common things and set them aside for God's purpose. So that's your car, your house, your children, your lunch, your workplace, your neighborhood market, the road that you're driving on. Everything that you come into contact with as a priest, you're praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, thank you for this road. Thank you for this wrench. Thank you for this person. I set them aside in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for your purpose. Do you realize what power there is in that? If we really live into this role as a kingdom of priests, that's manifest destiny. That makes Columbus look small. That makes the Mayflower look tiny. We are establishing here a beachhead in the name of God. We've established a beachhead and we're coming together to remind ourselves to hear his word, to receive his grace, so that we can see the world as he sees it, so that we can participate as holy making priests in the world. We are the church militant we are the church militant we are here not to have politics not to form armies but to go into the world bringing the grace and the love and the hope of our lord and savior jesus christ and we will do it by his strength by his love through the power of his spirit if only we will listen and obey if we will only listen and obey may we go into the world this day and this week blessing and consecrating and making holy our world forevermore